Yeah, this country is in a state of emergency. America, for me, is like missing out on how good it feels to be there for other people, to have genuine conversations mm -hmm. with people, to like not deflect a lot. Yeah, because I do it every day. Say, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not good. I'm a black trans woman in America. I'm not good. I'm not happy. Or whatever it is. It's like, we don't check on our neighbors. We overlook how women come up missing. We have this sense of entitlement. I don't know. It's just so many things. <laughs> I guess that's the thing. That is so many things with America that's fun, maybe out of control for me, that it's too much shit to clean up. <laughs> like, we just kind of like, do the best that we can and like the realms of where my powers lies in Detroit mm -hmm. in the black trans community and it's a choice if you don't do it in your powers and what's in your region and choose to do nothing then you're adding to the problem mm -hmm. so for me whether you like what I'm saying or not I'm out here trying to fight the good fight mm -hmm. out here is a folklore series determined to bring America together. It's a love letter to people whose voices deserve to be heard. What is your vision for the future of this country? Ooh, I want a female president, like yesterday. If it was Michelle Obama, I would be super stoked. But if not, yeah, I just think I want things to change. I definitely want medical providers to be culturally trained with how to handle LGBT people, specifically trans people. Yes, I'm pro-trans everything. <laughs> because it's like we're the minority that don't get talked about or we get overlooked. Because who's been leading our movement has been white gay men. White gay men have been the status quo of like what's okay and if they get gay marriage then great we don't need nothing else we do we do so if i go to the doctor and i get to a certain age you got to give me a prostate check and you have to give me a mammogram like my body is not set up in a way that you feel like traditionally 20 years ago you could just be like you're either this or this like no you have to go through a full out and i don't feel like i could respect you as a provider until you do those things until you meet my needs because other than that why is money getting taken out of my check in order for these things to still do me a disservice? Mm. I mean, police are still killing black people. So again, when we talk about why am I paying taxes to get killed? If you're not going to support medical transitions because you feel like it's cosmetic, then why can't you at least do the bare minimum of giving me what you give everybody else? I also think school systems need to be held accountable for like how we do teachers. Because if we have to institutionalize education, it has to be reflective of everybody who lives in today's society. I don't think Black History Month should just be something that's one month. I definitely don't think LGBT rights should be written out the conversation or not to be brought up and start giving them things that's more life efficient. I guess get away from the old traditional things of like past, but talk about more current revolutionary things that could help them prepare for what life is coming their way. If we say that we love our children and we need to invest in them, we need to make sure that no kids go hungry, we need to make sure that they are like adequately cared for and getting access to care in which they do away with a lot of these systems like prison systems because oftentimes I feel like schools is preparing them for um, the prison system and just find a way for our communities to start policing each other and learning how do we rectify and hold each other accountable and do away from police. Even if police look like 
you only service your neighborhood. You couldn't live in West Bloomfield and come patrol here in Detroit. You would have to stay in West Bloomfield just so those biases don't come out on how you show up on a job. Yeah, I think that's, that's a lot that America could do. But that's just my start. Mm -hmm. That's a good start. Oh, oh no. Biggest thing is <laughs> equitable rights. Like, we have to start distributing financial wealth to everybody. Not being funny. We cannot keep keeping the rich rich and the poor poor. That makes no sense. Like, if we all had a livable way and means, I feel like you would see a lot of the crime rate go down because... A lot of times we know what's based on the men that's in the prison systems is coming from solely trying to survive. Mm -hmm. So I think equitable wealth is something that's big because I feel like eventually our money is not going to be worth anything, to be honest, and it got to go back to how it was before with, like, medals and goals. <laughs> <laughs> you see? And that's another thing. Like, you criminalize survival sex work. There were burlesque house and all these social things that were already in past generations that led up to where we are today. Mm -hmm. It just looks a little different whether you have money or not. Like, you're not going to see that in a white neighborhood because they have access to just get a hotel room and escort. Mm -hmm. Versus, like, I don't have the means to get a hotel room, so I'm on Six Mile and John Earn. Mm -hmm. How do you feel walking through this world as a black trans woman? Thank you for that. Like, I think oftentimes we don't get asked those questions about how do we feel about existence because oftentimes I personally felt like my existence was to be erased or often silenced. So for me, I went around feeling like I wasn't good enough. And still, I have my days where I battle with, like, reassurance because oftentimes society don't reflect. When I look at beauty standards, I don't see often a trans woman. When I think of the way people form relationships for trans women, they tell us what type of relationship we should be in. Also, like, the stigma that's placed on our bodies around how we need to show up and how we need to present ourselves. And it makes you question the authenticity of yourself. Mm. So. Do you question yourself often? Yes, oftentimes I question myself with the perception of, like, trying to align my morals and my values with what other people are imposing on me. So a lot of times it's me trying to stay true to myself, but adhere to the mass majorities. Okay, prime example, if I date, there's no real future in a relationship because the stigma around if a man loves a trans woman, then he's automatically gay. And so with that stigma from society, doesn't leave a room for me to have a healthy, open display of a relationship where it's like a man can acknowledge my identity and solely love me unconditionally. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I didn't think I was tough until you actually decide like, hey, is this identity you're wearing strong enough to endure whatever life may bring your way? And clearly I said yes. Yeah, but that's basically it. I think it's important that I recognize that the life expectancy for a trans woman is 35 and that it's an epidemic of trans women being murdered, often just by solely being themselves. So for me, it's real important that I take those issues. I'll let you introduce yourself. State who you are, your name, your age, where we are right now, and what you are currently doing for work and your free time and your passions. Okay. 
Hi, I'm Raquel Trammell. I'm 32 years old. I'm originally born and raised from Detroit, Michigan. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a proud, out, trans woman of color. I'm affiliated with a lot of different organizations around social justice movement, which Trans Sister of Color Project is one that I'm currently the vice president of research and national advocacy. I work at the All Wellbeing Services as a peer outreach worker. I'm also on staff at the University of Michigan as a research assistant, and I'm also <laughs> a part of Mother Injustice, which is an amazing organization that surrounds the politics around family and women's rights. What else do I feel like I do? Well, I'm a mother in, in and of herself, and that's just me in a nutshell. We at the Ruth Ellis Center here in Highland Park, Michigan. So a little bit about them is that they have this the drop-in center where most youth come for meals to get services as far as clothing, counseling, and just to enjoy community. But downstairs, they have a medical department that like helps out with all types of needs around sexual health and transitional health. So being one of the first youth turn leader here, I was able to see the growth of the organization and like my community. If it wasn't for this, I wouldn't be necessarily who I am today. So until I got yeah. here, I was able to place all mm -hmm. these feelings with like definitions. Wow. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> Thank you for making the time for this <laughs> no, interview. No, <laughs> no problem. It spoke to my passion. Like it really did. I was like, I'm so glad somebody is out here actually doing it. Thank you. When we were talking on the phone when I initially got in touch with you, you were talking about your story being viral. I was like, what is she <laughs> talking about? Yeah, yeah. Was this your relationship? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so being a trans woman, I don't know if it's just one, I felt like yeah, there's other trans women who got babies and stuff like that, and which there is, but it's not a conversation that's being had often without stigma or ridicule. And oftentimes I feel like my community feels like we've been through so much. Why bring up this one more narrative that we know is going to be disrespected or looked bad on when honestly I was just like, okay, we fell in love, had a child. And when I originally did the interview, it was about the Donald Trump administration, but everybody was more so geared and focused to like my daughter's first birthday and like, oh, they got a baby, like they're trans. But the need for the conversation, I got so many people from around the world like inboxing me like, thank you for saying something that we couldn't say or like we were afraid to say. And it was just like, that's kind of what shifted my focus to be more so about reproductive justice especially with the trans land because I would not trade anything different on how my child got here. I just think like when I look at my whole life, everything led up to that moment for that to be like, oh, you're a trans woman. And not only that, your story looks a little different because you have a child. And it was just like, what happened? I don't know any of this. So where was the story? Um, the story, the story is like everywhere on Worldstar, on YouTube. What? Um, and the only reason why I agreed to this was because she was a UK reporter, and I was like, nobody knows me UK. But I didn't think her platform was so major or whatever, and so I just woke up from a nap, and my friend was like, you didn't tell me about this interview you did, and I was wondering why I had so many notifications on my phone. And I think the beauty was that I seen that people was okay with the idea of like, let them 
love each other. Like, something about whatever they seen in our relationship was transferring over to, like, people's love life or, like, what they aspired to want to be. So then we got held to this standard of, like, oh, y'all the best couple or y'all this and that. It was just like... Put a lot of pressure on your relationship. So then when they found out we broke up, it was like, no, we were rooting for you. And it's just like, I was rooting for us, too. Like, (laughs) I was trying to go the distance, too, sis. Um, (laughs) For real. So, um... I don't know, but so when I started doing research, it was other trans families that I've seen little stories, snippets here, and it just makes me think about like how many trans families are not represented in the nation. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, but I'm thankful to be a mother. I just thank him for even like carrying our child. So that was like this thing around like, how do healthcare providers show up for trans men, trans people in general, when it comes to like, labor and delivery and so it's just a big thing around what needs to change with these systems for me when that I, I was able to go through that experience of having my daughter mm-hmm. have you ever been in love i have been in love what does it feel like depending on the stage in my life love seemed real real slippery and i say that in the form of like it's really hard to obtain and it's different every time because where I was in my life when I first felt like I was in love, I know now I was in lustful love. I was in love with the idea. I was only in love with the experience that was connected to sex because this was the first person I lost my virginity to. But to say that I was in love with him now, probably not. But it was the closest thing to it that I had experienced. So that was my young love. Mm-hmm. My child's father, I loved him. He's my unconditional love, even prior to our daughter, only because I had never really opened up to somebody the way that I opened up to him. Now, I have unapologetic love. Like, I feel like if a man comes into my life, or a woman, if a person comes into my life, I'm not going to apologize for how I show up as myself because you have to count my experiences, still the process of constantly growing and learning yourself because things do change. And so for me right now, loving someone is like, I'm requiring a lot. <laughs> I want a thorough background check now. I want You like, got good credit. You know, like all of that. And even if you ain't got good credit, let's get you there. How, can, right, we, right. how can we get you there in a way that like, don't take away from me and my finances. But again, like, I don't think I'm going to find love until the stigma around loving a woman like myself is lifted. Does it feel good to be loved? It do. Especially when it's like, it, it's like wholeheartedly. Like wholeheartedly love don't come with a motive. It don't come with hidden agendas. It's not bragful. It's, it's just that. Like it just, it feels because they care so much about the intention of loving you, like what they feel is best for you. They never want no harm or no malice to come your way. So like that type of love feels really good to me. Mm-hmm. And I think I love when men can honestly say that they like love me and like it, you feel it. When you feel that love, that's when I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I think that kind of love is it's really raw. And I say that because the moments that I felt like I loved somebody the most was when they already told me their hangups. 
Mm-hmm. Like, they was just like, this is what it is. This is my truth. Because then it leaves you that choice of like, am I going to take this shit? Do I want to really take the chance on it? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love love. I love the ideal of it. And I think when we are searching for that, we need to be mindful of like our output and our input. Like how much love do you got to give and how much love are you requiring? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when that balance is off, you will be depleted and you give all your love to somebody who still requires more love than you actually can give them. Mm-hmm. So, and vice versa. Yeah. Did you and your child's father have good loving memories? Yes, 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 we do. And we still really coexist as to date. I love him. You never know what the future could bring because I never thought that I would ever have a child. But to love a person to that extent and for it not to work out was devastating for me. But at the same time, that experience I needed because he sets the bar so high for like, what I won't tolerate for a man. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't even come in the vicinity of, like, what I felt was some real love, <laughs> I'm not entertaining it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who do you trust? <laughs> no one. And that's so sad to say that. I do not trust anybody. It's really hard to trust people. I literally almost made a status about that yesterday. But it's hard to trust people, not only for the fact of being betrayed or hurt, it's hard to trust people because I feel that oftentimes I've allowed myself to be vulnerable and it feel like I have to hold myself to a certain accountability. Like you shouldn't be so trustworthy with people you don't know. You don't know who you share energy with. You don't know mm-hmm. their background, their mental status. So now I'm a little bit, and not being funny, now after this story went viral, I definitely don't trust people because it's like, it's magnified. It's like. Nobody knows me, but all these people feel like they know me because they've seen a three-minute story about a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, like, people still expect my daughter to be one, and it's like, she's three. Like, that was a long time ago. But trust is something that's just so hard, I think, for a lot of trans women because it's been a lot of times that we've come to people and either asked for help, come as our authentic self, or been rejected by people who we love the most for just being ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... If you just bring in your full self and people reject that, that makes you feel like the whole world is against you. Mm-hmm. So for me, trusting people is really, really hard. And I tell people that all the time. If you, if you know anything personal about me, I trust you. You're close to me because I don't allow people into me like that. If um, you've seen my four walls, you know where I live at those type of things. If you've been around my child, I trust you, trust you. Because there's a real disconnect when it comes to me and trust. So, you gotta trust in me a little bit with this interview. Yes. Right? Trust do come when, like, there's a greater good beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of times, I'm always intentional about trying to show up in uncomfortable spaces where trans women don't, or speaking on a narrative that if it's going to reach a mass majority of people, then I know at least one trans woman is going to, like, be heard. Mm -hmm. Do you like to be vulnerable? I do. I learned so much about myself when I'm vulnerable. It used to be a very scary thing for me to be vulnerable because it was associated as being weak. But for me, when I'm vulnerable, I'm truly, honestly myself, and I'm unapologetic. And there have been teaching tools in that, like, just being vulnerable and having those real conversations with myself, like, bitch, no, you need to get it together because you were wrong. 
it allows me to hold myself accountable or look at things a little different. Like if you hurt somebody's feelings or you haven't been honest with how you shown up in the space, like check yourself. And it's been humbling. Being vulnerable for me has really been humbling. And it feels so good. Yeah, because oftentimes I hide behind all these different masses. And I think the moment I can just truly just be myself, all of that weight goes off. Mm -hmm. And it's probably a relief, too, mm -hmm. being all that you walk around with. Yeah, definitely. You feel safe here? No, no, definitely not. As, like a black trans woman in Detroit, I fear for each and every one of us every time we walk out our front door. Hell, sometimes you may not even have to leave your front door for it to find you. I think when, and I say that just because there's so many systems in place that do not adhere to safety here in the city, from police to the school system to even our transportation system. There'll be moments where I've physically seen trans women be on the bus and for whatever reason, somebody felt the need to want to say anything to them. And it's this long parade of like miles and miles of ridicule or disrespect or misgendering that happens and nobody does anything. And then if a trans woman stand up for herself, that's when it can turn fatal. That's when she deserves to die because she stood up for her own self or didn't want to be disrespected. So you live with fear? Yes, often. Fear, anxiety, depression, those are things that I think trans women have come to just wear as a natural accessory. We have resilience and the ability to be able to take those things and turn them into something beautiful. But I think the trauma that comes with it long-term is something that needs to be addressed just because, like, it weighs in your health. How so? I definitely feel like when you have a constant high anxiety and you always thinking something is going to happen, you kind of get on edge and it makes you... For one, I know a lot of trans women are coping with things that had not been addressed in their past. So whether that's molestation or rape, those type of things start to be coping mechanisms of substance abuse. We also have to talk about the fact that like survival sex work is something that kind of coexists with that identity. So not, not all the time and you just being able to access the world in the way you want to, but having to do things that you don't want to can put you in harm's way of like ultimately running into somebody whose society says you're unworthy of. A lot of the death that I've seen by these men that trans women either date or do survival sex work with ultimately ends in their death. And it's not because they just want to do survival sex work, it's that the systems have not allowed a way of acceptance or identity to look a way where they can really go through society and apply for a regular nine to five. Mm -hmm. You've seen a lot of death in the black trans community? Yes, we recently here in Detroit just lost a young lady to a shooting. And before then, we lost another young lady to a pastor here and he ended up getting his bail out. So it's oftentimes that like, when it comes to these deaths, no matter how malice or how absurd they are, it continues to be looked over. And it tends to be something that now we become numb to. Like, it's like, okay, and by the third week, we probably come to grips that like, okay. But it's every time that I feel like a trans woman is murdered, it's not just like a car accident or something. Like, it's like 
dismemberment or like set on fire or like you can't find her and it's just like it's to the extreme and nobody nobody sees this to be a hate crime or I don't know it's just really hard to see these women that I feel like needed to be here needed to exist and have the right to exist yeah to be gone and definitely it's not even just so how they may have went in their last moments. It's also when they're gone after, like, the way that the family may address their identity. So this person then worked their whole life to be Aina. And, like, in that moment of her death, now she's back to being Albert. And so for me, that, that just speaks to the disregard for a real trans woman identity. Is Detroit home for you? So Detroit is all I've ever known. I'm born and raised from the west side of Detroit. So I didn't know poverty was a big issue in Detroit growing up there, just because that's all I've ever known was the escapes of like people who don't have money. So when I came older and became employed and learning the difference between class and things like that, I didn't even honestly know, like there's something about a bubble when it comes to being black and being poor that you don't notice until you get outside of that community. So I didn't know too much about white people. I thought they only exist on TV. (laughs) (laughs) And um, definitely, like, when I started to think about the norm, so, like, when other people had two-parent homes, I was like, I don't got my mom, and, like, that's normal for me. So I had a lot of challenges around what it meant to be for Detroit, but I knew it was a lot of pride in it. Like, I had seen men, young men give their lives just by the code of the hood. And it wasn't any disgrace there, right? So, like, when we thought of food stamps or we thought about Focus Hope, those things were amazing for us because those were survival things. Those were things that we actually had to just be, like, grateful for. Like, yeah, our bridge car came on today, so we know we're going to eat good. Now what I see about Detroit is this urge for everybody to quote-unquote help, but it's in a beneficial way. Like, these businesses that now came and pushed people who has been in Detroit all their lives out or tax up the prices for things, you're going to benefit from that. Like, you're going to have people who can afford these things in this area, and it puts this perception on Detroit as if we're, like, this up-and-coming city. Um, But the beauty in Detroit has always been here. And Mm -hmm. I always tell people, if you want to rediscover a city or make improvements, you have to start with the people. You have to give the people something to be excited about, something to live for. Because they're the ones who actually make the city. Because we know if anything changed about the new improvements with the economy here in Detroit, those same people who build all them businesses are just going to pack up and go somewhere else where they know financial stability would be. Mm-hmm. Do you love Detroit? I do love Detroit. As I've gotten in my adult life, I've benefited much from being in the suburbs just out of safety reasons. But I know not every trans woman can afford to live out in the suburbs or have transportation to get back and forth to the city. But what I love about the city is like everybody is going to keep it 100. Everybody is going to be the same. So Detroit got a lot of hidden gems. And we're such a community-based city that, like, you know where to go if you want to find your art crowd or your LGBT people or your black people, your gardeners. However it is, I think Detroit just offers so many different realms of diversity Mm. that it's like, 
I don't know. Like, I go to other places, and I get it, but, like, I'd be excited to be at home, too. Do you have faith or a spiritual practice? What do you have faith in? Um, <laughs> yes, I do feel like I have to believe in something. Like, it helps me get through my life, especially with the identity of being a trans woman, to believe in something. And sometimes, for me, it's the proof in those moments that it gets you through. I don't want to say I'm religious because religion don't welcome me and that has put trauma and triggered in my life so spiritually yes I'm very connected to like this higher power I believe in frequencies and for me sometimes my higher being looks like a woman sometimes they look like a man but they look like the person who can get me through that moment Mm -hmm. and like as long as I'm living what I feel is right and like I'm treating the next human person amazing and great like I don't know and then not being funny I really use religion as a learning curve because there's so many different forms that I educate myself and I feel like the humanistic part of me can connect with all these people just based upon their faith practices so it's not really necessarily about me and my thoughts and my practices it's more so like you know I like to believe that I'm a Christian, but oftentimes when I say that, I feel either not true in that because of the rules that go with it, or I feel like Christianity has hurt so many people that I don't want to associate myself with it. So religion for me has been horrible, but spirituality has helped me keep a balance. Part of the work that I want to do is to start a support group that really deals with our traumas and not only that, but gives you the tools necessary to cope over some situations and develop new strategies because we do know that each girl lives a different lived experience. So with that being said, to hear somebody else's story and see how maybe we all could benefit from that if we ever once was placed in that situation could I think help a lot of the issues that we face. Does trauma play a major role in your work? Yes, trauma plays a big role just because it's something that we experience in our community often and we don't often always place it as trauma. It's just kind of like, oh, well, that's what it always happened. Or like, because I'm trans, I put this on myself. But really, like, if that's something that hurts you or is something that brings high anxiety for you, like, it needs to be addressed despite your identity. Like, I definitely think that we give too many passes for trauma to be present in our lives. Mm -hmm. Like, it can be addressed. It could be something, like, and I think I love all the different movements that's going on, especially, like, the Me Too movement. Things that's, like, putting a face to the trauma that we are experiencing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Why is memory important to you? Do you like memories? I do not like memories. (laughs) Because... So one, I think when you have had a lot of trauma in your life, your memory is not always the best. Like, and so <laughs> my child's father always tell me like, you don't remember that? And I'm like, no. And I think I just instantly blank out things that are bad or unkind. Yeah. I, I have a lot of memories. It just sometimes takes me a while to process and unpack it. And then, you know, with memory, I'm big on accuracy, like, so did that really happen or was that, like, my childhood imagination? I have a memory of me and my mom and my older brother, we would go to Greektown and they used to have 
I don't know what place it was, but she would take us on the people mover. And I thought it was like the best day of my life. I remember she took us to like this place where the giant slide is, which I realized was maybe Belle Isle. And I remember, <laughs> I remember her dress like blowing up, but I don't know why she got on the giant slide with like her her dress on. But yeah, everybody saw my mama cooter mama. <laughs> so that's just one memory that just about Detroit was like all these different places. And I was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have any other memories? They can be fun. They can be not so good. Yeah, um, they can be like transformative, life-shifting. Okay, so the first time I ever remembered that I was attracted to the same sex, I was five, I was in kindergarten, and we had these colorful placemats, and I sat next to the placemat, and it was like the first day of kindergarten, and so this girl walked in, and I was just like, oh, her dress is cute, I will get my hair like that. <laughs> Mind you, bald-headed as ever, I'm like, I will get my hair like that. Um, I like her dress, her parents must like, really spend some money on her because she look expensive. And it's so crazy that when you're a kid, you don't know those words, but you you actually processing that. And so this boy walked in, and I was like, oh, you can come sit next to me. <laughs> and um, my teacher was like, oh, no, he sits over here. And, like, when I say I had a fit, like, I was just like, I was so mad he couldn't sit by me. And I was just like trying to unpack that like you really is upset because this boy cannot sit next to you and I would find every excuse in the world why he should sit next to me or why I should sit next to him (laughs) I would try sharing my toys with him and then another memory would definitely have to be when I came into my identity so that was like seven and I used to have these gray like track shorts that I would wear all the time, but I had like outgrew them. <laughs> so they was little and I just, my mom would just let me put them on every time. And um, baby, I could, I had a picture, well I probably still got the picture, but I got the picture with these shorts and I'm like, if I ever was to, like them shorts were so little. So thanks mom. But yeah, and I remember like looking at my thighs and I was like, I'm gonna grow up and I'm be just a really thick girl and I'm gonna be pretty and like all of these things. And I just, I honored that. Like that was the moment I always go back to because I was like, that's what I knew. I didn't know what it was gonna look like. I didn't know the journey, but I had made up my mind. At some point, I'm gonna be a woman. <laughs> I don't know how long it takes to be one, but I'm gonna be a woman. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks, no problem. And then I'm also not big on family. Why is that? I don't want to say they don't accept my transness, but they cause too many triggers for me to put myself in that type of harm. I'm not one to feel like, if you don't respect it, you don't get it, that's fine. But I'm not going to intentionally bring myself around you to be like disrespected or misgendered. Because as an activist, I'm going to correct you. Like I'm just, er, no, mm mm-mm. That's not what we're doing. The excuse I've been hearing so often is like, oh, well, I knew you before. And it was like, no, you really didn't. Let me correct you where you That person you thought you knew was like depressed as hell. That person you thought you knew didn't even know their self. So like, you didn't know that shell. That was like the body of the casing. Who I am now is who you truly needed to manifest. Like that's who you should have nurtured. And that's who you should have brought to the forefront because you always seen her. When y'all policed me and told me don't walk like that, don't talk like that. That was the part you were supposed to be like, well, let's sit down and have a real conversation. Like, what are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah. And then in the black family, it's so many 
hush, 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 quiet, quiet, quiet. Let's not talk about that. So we couldn't talk about it then. Let's not talk about it now. Like, don't see my truth visible and then feel like it's on the table for discussion, but we can't go undo 20 years of trauma that you've caused me. It's a weird thing of like being private, but then wanting to know everything mm-hmm. and wanting to tell you what to do yeah. under the guise of, you know, nobody knows our business, but yet. You want to, yeah, <laughs> crucify me. And that was another thing too. So like a lot of the people in my family, not being funny or judgmental, just being honest, you have criminal records. You've got addiction to substances. And it's just like the way society would look at that is like, oh, that's bad as fuck but here I am the black sheep because I chose my truth I chose my calling I've never had a criminal record I've never been addicted to anything so it's just like you're worried about me yeah like what is what are we accepting as okay and what are we saying is not okay Mm -hmm. because if that's the case we need to have a whole formal bone conversation because not being funny I was just like Oh, there's a lot of my girls who had somebody from this community. So I may not look like y'all and I may not proceed to be masculine, but you still not living your truth. <laughs> mm. Boop. Yeah. Who do you love? Who do I love? I love my child. I'm learning to love myself. And I think I love the idea of love, but right now I don't love anybody. For say, outside of my daughter. <laughs> What's your relationship like? Okay. My relationship with my daughter, I like to believe it's so amazing. So one, I feel honored to be able to say that I'm a mother. But I always find myself, I'm a in-your-head type of girl. So I find myself oftentimes in my head because at the same time of loving the experience of being a mom, I'm so fearful about being a trans woman and like what things that don't belong to her that only belongs to me is getting unpacked on her. Mm. So like people perception of me not authentically being her mom or the fact that like if my life expectancy is 35 years like I only really got three more years with my child I think about how there will be difficult questions and conversations that we'll have and like trying to get her to understand why the world is the way it is but I'm also loving that so far she has had this very open, welcoming experience to people. And I think sometimes that's having that diversity and representation as far as what a traditional family looks like. Mm-hmm. Just because, so, one thing I know is that she's very defensive <laughs> about me. And it's just like, I kind of think she picks up on the energy of people around me. And mm-hmm. it's not always... I don't want that to ever be her place or her battle to have to fight for me. Mm -hmm. But I also instill these certain values in her as far as, like, breathing life into her and letting her know her worth and, like, what it means to be yourself and love yourself. And being a young youth, I was policed a lot. So when it comes to parenting her, I don't police her. Whatever feels natural to her, whatever she want to do that's not self-harming I encourage that for her so yeah that's beautiful thanks in what ways should folks be showing up for trans women of color don't be afraid to ask questions and not in a invasive 
type of way. It's one thing to ask questions to get clarity or just to not be offensive. But I think when most people talk about trans people, it comes from a perspective of entitlement and just being really invasive around people's personal boundaries and showing up for them in a way that, like, if you know you get access to worlds that trans people most often can't, try to use your privilege. Like, one thing is, like, if you is a manager or whatever, and you know that your bathroom policies makes it hard for trans women or trans men to go to the restroom, everybody needs to go to the bathroom. So try and do those little subtle things to change the policy around something that could seem so small could change drastic measures for trans women and trans men in today's society. So my biggest thing is to develop a program where I know from my own personal lived experience that cisgender men who love trans women are 10 times as likely to kill us at the hands of violence or out of the fear of somebody outing them. So my program is to definitely start educating and getting these cisgender men engaged with how to show up for a trans woman. And I think the one thing is that we're not attacking the stigma that most men face with loving a trans woman. Just culturally, we see how men murder women with that component of romanticized love. It's like overkill. You stabbed me 65 times because you say that statement, if I can't have you, nobody can have you. And a lot of women, especially black women, are suffering at the hands of domestic violence or coming up missing. And it's just like, it's something that has to be addressed with how men show up for women. Mm-hmm. How do you think they should show up for women? I definitely think men can start being more accountable. It's not enough just to say, hey, I did something wrong, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's to honestly have the real conversation that if I did something to ever hurt you or disrespect you, how do I mend this? How do I make it right? And definitely getting in tune with challenging how you were raised. If you were told to not like express your opinions, change your mind frame of how you feel about your gender. Like I definitely feel like men are entitled to their emotions. I think if they could communicate and articulate their emotions better, it would change how they feel the need to be more aggressive or more hands-on with a woman. And definitely mental health is a big part of any intersection. So I definitely feel like if men got more engaged with mental health services, they could talk through whatever traumas they, they may have been through. Mm-hmm. What do you want future generations to preserve for the community that you care so much about? Future generations, I want them to preserve the legacy and the existence of trans women. And I definitely, for trans women of color, let me be more specific, because I think it's not enough anymore to just be Caitlyn Jenner. I think for black trans women, we don't get enough credit due. We don't allow ourselves to feel enough. So our generation, I think that they possess the key element. Like, I think they they are gonna possess that one thing. We got it wrong so many times and that generation is gonna get it right. And I want for them to preserve their right to be just them, mm-hmm. like, and be unapologetic about it. I want them to hold them, people that's in position of power, hold them accountable for why they're in their positions. That way, we can sustain longevity so trans women can keep thriving and keep living and we not having this mortality rate at, at high as percentage as we have in it. Mm, mm-mm. Do you have any 
final last words, something we didn't cover, parting words, just anything you'd like to say on the mic. Let's see, some things I want people to guess. It costs nothing to be nice to a person. It, it costs nothing to try and understand somebody. So this year for me has always been about challenging myself and things that I felt I was uncomfortable with. I challenge everybody to do the same. Like, you will learn so much about yourself if you could just allow yourself to force the beings that be. So like, if that's taking up a new language, if that's actually getting up and like doing something about your neighborhood that you don't like, I think not being afraid, if we release fear on like what it is that keeps us different, we'll learn that we're definitely a lot of light. And um, protect and love your children. Yeah. And even if they're not your children, somebody else's children. Like that's really important. And thank you. I thank you for this whole experience. I'm glad we could have it. Of course. Thank you so much for Kel. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All mine. Bye.